0: This is Hope, Behavioral Health in COVID-19 from Health Management Associates. I'm Annalisa Baker, your host, a senior consultant at HMA, a licensed clinical social worker, and a proud, lifelong New Yorker. This is a series we're creating specifically for you, New York's behavioral health providers. We created this for New York, the epicenter, but we think this information will be valuable to anyone in the behavioral health field. I wanna thank our listeners. We've received such overwhelming feedback about our last podcast on awakening and health equity and racism. When I started producing this series, I didn't know it was going to be a platform to speak out against racism. I'm humbled. I'm still learning. I want to do this right. I know I'm going to make mistakes, but I also know I want to be held accountable in my lifelong commitment to be an anti-racist. We're here today talking with LaQuisha Grant, who partnered with me in our last conversation on health equity and racism, and Heidi Arthur, a social worker and a principal at HMA who focuses on system of care improvement for vulnerable and high-need populations. Today, on Juneteenth, we talk about leaders, behavioral health, healthcare, any organizational leader, on how they can manifest the call to action on anti-racism. Hi, LaQuisha and Heidi. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having us. I just want to read something by the author Ibram Kendi from his article in the Atlantic entitled the American nightmare to be black and conscious of anti-black racism is to stare into the mirror of your own extinction in this article he writes but perhaps the worst of the nightmare is knowing that racist Americans will never end it anti-racism is on you and only you racist Americans deny your nightmare deny their racism claim you have a dream like a king, when even his dream in 1967 turned into a nightmare. He ends this article by saying, history is calling the future from the streets of protest. What choice will we make? What world will we create? And what will we be? There are only two choices, racist or anti-racist. So
1: in light of our conversation today, are leaders prepared for this? That was a powerful quote. I, I think that leaders may believe that they're ready for this, but in many cases that belief may be grounded in some false assumptions because perhaps the work that needs to go into understanding their own racial identity and their own position relative to the biases in which we've all been steeped in white supremacy remains invisible.
2: I would agree with that, and I think that we all have to acknowledge we are in a place we have not been in before, and so leaders may think they're ready, but we all have to acknowledge there's work to do. People are calling out and making a call to action to be anti-racist, and many folks did not know what that meant until very recently. We're all on a journey of learning right now, and that includes leaders, but it's really important for leaders to take up their mantle and and step into the position to lead in this journey.
1: So are there tools to help them do that? I think a lot of leaders are looking to experts to help support them in facilitating those conversations, but I also think that Um, In many cases, those skills are within us, each of us. If we give ourselves permission to be humble, have humility, prepare to hear feedback that is difficult, prepare to be in spaces that are not comfortable, And, and I would say that in some of these conversations, the more uncomfortable they are, the better you're doing. And just as an example, a leader said, well, I don't see race. And there was a pause and then a a person of color was able to say, if you don't see my race, if you don't see me as a Latina woman, then you're missing a part of who I am. And that leader had just finished saying as, as a preface to the discussion, but I can be corrected. I come to this conversation prepared to really listen and you can tell me when I don't have it right.
2: I think what Heidi is saying is absolutely right. Leaders, everyone who's coming into the conversation should take some time to educate themselves on the topic. In order to do that, you have to know what the topic is, right? There has to be an agenda and a set of goals that are identified prior to coming into the conversation because experiences that I've been made aware of I have friends and colleagues and even clients who have um, engaged in these difficult conversations, but prior to having the conversation, they didn't know that the conversation was going to happen and felt ambushed. So it's really important to make sure that folks are prepared to enter into this kind of difficult, uh, challenging space. And If folks are prepared to feel uncomfortable, then that's where a lot of the growth and change can take place.
0: When you hold people accountable for making some kind of racist remark, there is going to be an accompanying feeling of shame, but how do you turn that around to make that shame part of your
1: power? There's a courageous conversation and then there's downright brave. And if people knew, this is our goal. We're hoping that you'll have the humility to let us share that externally with the greater good in mind. I think racial anxiety and all of the pushback that happens for white people and the fear of being called racist is so mm-hmm. tremendous that there's this static that actually comes up and that, that can create those like residual experiences of shame and guilt. All of that can just be dispensed with. Let's name it, it's a thing. It's a part of the broader condition. It's a part of the, the disorder of racism. Mm-hmm. And you feel that disorder racism, too, in their anxiety. I think in terms of those expectations, too, that it's not just a conversation. We're also going to be looking toward action. We're going to be figuring out together, what do we do about this? I like that. I think the action-oriented conversations
0: are, are really important. But I'm wondering if we could take a step back a moment. When leaders do most of their preparation, that can't be amorphous either. It needs to be targeted They can prepare themselves with trying to understand the definitions of the terminology, structural racism, institutional racism, implicit bias, unconscious bias. You can't walk into a room without having your own awareness of those definitions and then start opening a path to awareness for the other people that you're working with. I don't think that you can create those safe and courageous spaces until everyone else has a sense of each other's understanding of those definitions. Does that make sense? It does. And in terms of awareness, it's great
2: to... to. Uh... <laughs> Welcome to New York City, everybody. <laughs> um, uh, in terms of awareness, as a leader, you also have to do a little research into how your. are organization may or may not be contributing to any implicit biases that your clients or your staff feel. You have to take a look at your data, look at your staff to see if your organization is in fact promoting equity. Is there equity in your leadership? Is there equity in your staff? And if the answer is no, come into that conversation saying that, We know that we have not done a good job at this, and we want to fix it.
1: Yeah, it's not just who we hire, it's also who we retain in service in our organization, who comes in the door and then doesn't come back, who comes in the door and stays. How well does that population that we're serving and the the population that we're employing represent the community in which we sit? Like all that disparity, impact that internal analysis, that climate assessment work,
0: We were just talking
1: about a call to
0: action at the end of every conversation. It made me think about when we have just regular strategic conversations around what we want to do in our organizations, in our projects, we set tasks, we set priorities, we assign responsibilities, and we get the job done. Do we apply that same kind of approach? To anti racist call to actions. One of my
1: concerns is that folks will feel like, oh, we've got that diversity committee, we've got that cultural competency training, we've got the infrastructure for careful recruitment and hiring. What I have been saying to my clients is integrate attention in your existing structures. And so, for instance, there were leaders who had a leadership team that convened and had one conversation. And that conversation's action was, you're going to now go and have this conversation with your unit staff. And from that conversation, the outcome was to integrate into the agenda for those routine meetings to continue the dialogue with action steps that would naturally be part of how the organization moves its practice forward, its organizational policy revisions, its quality assurance, integrating and baking it into the functioning of the organization, that there would be clear next steps that aren't set aside activities, but are really integral to how we work together. However, there are some set aside activities like a climate assessment, like a disparity impact statement or or plan that really can help to inform those integral activities.
2: When we say a climate assessment, we mean a real assessment of policies, procedures, hiring practices, job descriptions, staff perspective, client perspective, really it, an assessment of how your organization fares as it relates to equity. It's looking to see if you have policies in place that actually promote equity, if you have a diverse staff and if staff feel like there's a culture of support and you get that information from actually speaking to staff. So it's a little bit more than just looking at the policies and the procedures and the numbers, because you can have people of color in your organization, within your leadership, but do those individuals feel supported?
0: Are you retaining those individuals? It's almost like you don't know what you don't know, but how do you help the folks that don't feel safe, feel safe? How does leadership address that?
2: It's really important for leadership to create those spaces where Folks can share their thoughts perhaps anonymously in a way for folks to identify allies that they feel comfortable speaking to who can then share their ideas and their thoughts and their feelings without having to do so on their own. Because it is a lot to ask people of color to lead these discussions and to be open about their feelings, because a lot of these folks are dealing with their own racial trauma outside of the office. And so when coming to work, to have to deal with it again is going to be difficult. So as much as possible, it's really important to give a number of different options for Creating safe spaces.
0: If an organization does not score well on its diversity scale, it's unfair to be asking one or two people constantly about their experience because of re traumatization. The folks that are in the majority should be doing their own homework on trying to understand that experience, but it is not essential for people of color to be at every diversity meeting.
2: I agree with you. However, there might be a willingness. So there might be folks who think that this work is really important and that they're invested in seeing the organization do well and advance equity. But the organization should acknowledge that burden that is being placed on this individual or group of individuals and should have a way to compensate them for that or to reward them for that. Like that should be taking into consideration when doing a performance evaluation, staff incentives that might exist within your organization, because doing that is work and it should be acknowledged and recognized as such. If the organization truly values that perspective they should treat it as they would anything else of value and assign appropriate compensation or incentives for it.
1: I think a lot of leaders have become accustomed to having the answers, bringing the vision, laying out the agenda, telling everybody what's going to happen next, and then weighing in at every point. And this is a conversation to be a listener within and to to thoughtfully set it up within the team and environment. You bring up such a good point, Heidi, because I'm realizing
0: that the leaders who are sitting in these positions and working with the populations that we try to serve, vulnerable populations, people with high need, high risk, they're just trying to fix it. They're just trying to fix access to care and make sure everybody gets access to the services. And this is asking them to take that step back. And, and listen, again, start over and, and re-examine all their policies and procedures. You were making me think before, Heidi, about looking at the data. And as we move to telehealth for everything, what's the racial breakdown for people who are engaging in telehealth services? Is it tipped to support more white people and, and not minorities?
1: That equity lens is so important as we think about how do we measure success. And as we come out of the corona pandemic experience and look to the response to the behavioral health increase in demand, I think there's gonna be a real tendency to say, oh, are we filling our slots? Are we decreasing our no-show rate? Oh, we're doing a great job of serving everybody who had a cell phone and internet access and, and really leave behind the folks who perhaps have even greater need. How do we start to address some of those sort of structural barriers to ensure that truly we're serving everybody especially those with the greatest need.
2: And and that's exactly what happened with COVID. We, you know, cases started to go up. We went into crisis mode. We went into, let's get people tested. Let's deal with those that are in the hospital. It wasn't until one month into COVID that we realized that there are some huge racial disparities that have to be addressed in order to mitigate outcomes of COVID. Here in New York City, we started putting testing sites in the communities that were most impacted by COVID. So we have to go into this next phase of post-COVID recovery knowing that health disparities exist. Let's put equity at the beginning of the conversation and guide our future decisions and guide our operations. So what we often say at HMA is equity at the center. Make equity the center of operations. Make equity the center of your organization. Make equity the center of how you deliver services. By doing that, we can really start to make a dent in improving health disparities.
1: I would circle back and just highlight how maddening it is is to community-based organizations that have long been identifying the need to target resources to those communities where we know disparities are requiring additional attention in order to right that imbalance. So going into COVID absent a really thoughtful, planful, anticipation of of how much greater the impact would be in the Bronx versus Manhattan, we can't let that ever happen again. We can't let it happen in our responses to diabetes, to asthma. We know where the highest risk, highest need populations reside by zip code. Let's look to those community leaders whose wisdom can help to inform the, the new normal.
2: We're having this conversation on Juneteenth of 2020, and a lot of organizations and even the governor of New York State has committed to making Juneteenth a paid holiday. And so I really think that's telling about the times that we're in and about organizational leadership's willingness to not only have these difficult conversations but take some actions towards acknowledging the impact of racism, acknowledging the experiences of African Americans and actually doing something about it, doing their part to be anti-racist and to support uh, Black colleagues and clients. And so that is something that gives me hope. It's still early in the process, but the fact that organizations are not only having conversations, but taking actions gives me a lot of hope right now.
1: I feel tremendously hopeful about the numbers of white people who are really called to act and to be anti-racist. I went with my daughter to a protest where there was a lie-in, and we lay on our stomachs on on the sidewalk for the the full eight minutes, 46 seconds, and had the experience of imagining a man dying while people looked and while callously that was permitted to happen. And I think a lot of us are so mournful about that horror that we are called to behave and, and come together in wholly new ways. Racism is a problem that white people have that needs to be addressed not because it affects us in the direct ways that it affects black people, but because we are victims of the white supremacy within the system that we continue to benefit from disproportionately. And I think that the, the more we come together and create opportunities to be joined by broader and more diverse groups, racism is a problem that we all experience. I feel really hopeful what we can accomplish together.
0: I invite all our listeners to think about today. What are you going to do today to become more anti-racist than you were yesterday? Thank you both for having this conversation and happy Juneteenth. Hope, behavioral health and COVID-19 is produced by me at home with my kids in the next room. You can follow HMA on Twitter at HMA Consultants and you can find us on LinkedIn. Find out more about HMA podcasts at www.healthmanagement.com forward slash podcast. My name is Annalisa Baker. Stay strong, New York. Thanks for listening.